Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Harsh Reality. This is episode 89 of this weekly podcast covering the events of the last week or so, or anything I happen to think about at any given time. I really appreciate you joining the podcast and uh, all the comments that I get from everybody. I did miss last week because I was out of town on a prior commitment. And you know what? I actually have, my broadcast engineer actually has given me a a metal box that I can carry around and I can actually do the podcast from a remote location. I've done that several times, as you know, and I, I don't know, I just, it isn't as good as being here in the comfortable harsh reality studios here in South Florida. So I'm glad to be back in studio. I've got program producer with me. I've got broadcast engineer. Uh, well, he seems to have, Seems to have vanished. He's probably out at the coffee machine. Anyway, uh, but we have a great show for you this week. I'm going to talk a little bit about the infrastructure bill. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Basically, we're back to business as usual. It's just awful the way things are because things didn't get as bad as they are here in the United States with debt and with corruption and pork spending and you know, just payoffs to cronies and payoffs to constituents and all. It didn't get like that overnight. But during the Obama administration and then definitely during the Trump administration, things kind of came to a halt a little bit because there was gridlock in Congress. And that was actually ended up being a good thing, even though, you know, they kept coming up with ways to say, oh, we got an emergency. We had a economic meltdown. So we need a stimulus and then another stimulus. And then they said, oh, well, now we have a uh, we got covid. And so we need stimulus and another stimulus. And basically, these are just excuses to throw money around and pad their own bank accounts is really what it amounts to, because maybe they're not paying themselves directly, but you're handing out money to your friends. Your friends are going to take care of you later. And so there's a reason that people enter Congress, you know, with $50,000 to their name and nobody ever leaves Congress, not a millionaire. So that's, I mean, it's, this is just simple math, but anyway, and then Victor Davis Hanson, I don't know if you know him, he's a, a commentator. He actually has a great piece that I wanted to talk about with 10 new rules of modern American life. And I, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. He's absolutely right. I've got a bit about the COVID checks. I don't know if you've gotten yours or not. A bit about G. Gordon Liddy. And then in the grab bag, I'm going to talk about uh, this diversity officer that DOD hired. I've got a segment about the Second Amendment. I've got a segment about censorship. I've got a segment about racism, and then I've got a segment about this poor Eagle Scout so that, uh, that the left is attacking. It's just, you know, he's trying to honor veterans, and it's it's too bad because it seems like a nice kid, I'm sure, and it's it seems for a good cause. But with that, let's get started. I've got an article here from Texas Observer. You can find it at texasobserver.org entitled, In Houston, a plan to expand Interstate 45 encounters federal pushback. So in this story, there's a, a talk about how the feds are actually, as of the recording of this, they've shut down the expansion of Interstate 45. And this is part of, this is at Pete Booty Jig and, uh, and, and of course, during the, with the infrastructure bill that's coming, and I think it's what, two and a half trillion dollars, something like that. And if you remember back during the Trump administration, Trump was lambasted. He was mocked in the media for trying to spend money on infrastructure. And he said, Hey, we got to let's rebuild these roads and bridges and whatnot. 
And the media, of course, anything he did was the stupidest idea ever. And now we have Biden showing up and saying, well, we, I'm going to do double what Trump was going to do. And the media thinks it's the best idea they've ever heard. It's $2.5 trillion spent supposedly on infrastructure. But the reason I wanted to talk about this Interstate 45 expansion. So you, you think, what could be politically correct about building roads and bridges? Well, turns out everything. Everything. Science. Medicine education, math, and roads and bridges go into political correctness. And so what happens is there's this idea that there's racial inequality in the building of America's highways or building of America's bridges or off-ramps or whatever. The idea is that they only put highways through poor people's neighborhoods, and poor people mostly are people of color, as they call them. And so since that's the case, these are racist highways, and this is racist bridges and racist off-ramps and racist drivers and racist civil engineers that are doing this. But I wanted to step back for a second and really kind of look at this honestly, because this is one of those things where you say, hey, if there's an impact on a, a certain community, then it must be racism. That must be the reason that's happening. I used to live in Indiana, and they did this thing called the I-69 extension. So Interstate 69 that runs like from up in Michigan down to Texas, I think. Anyway, it stopped. There was no I-69 going from, say, Evansville, Indiana, or like the Ohio border with Kentucky up to Indianapolis. And then I-69 picked up and went on north. And so there was this went on for decades, three decades maybe, where this whole idea of extending I-69, not, not extending it, but connecting it. So, But you were cutting through the entire southern half of the state of Indiana. And so there was all kinds of litigation, as one might presume. And back then, they were more like, no, this is an environmental concern. There was all kind of angst and all kind of litigation about where is the highway going to go? And so there's different kinds of land that you can buy when you buy a highway. I mean, ideally, you would just make a straight line from here to there. But that's not always just because of hills or mountains or rivers or or what have you. Or maybe there's a giant factory in the way. And so, you, you know, it's more expensive to buy that factory than it is to just build around it. And so they use eminent domain, which is, okay, the government is going to take your land for the greater good of everybody, and we're going to pay you. And then, of course, you have litigation because the government's going to come in with a lowball offer, and then your attorney will counter with, you know, some crazy high offer. You negotiate that out. This happens with extensions of uh, airport runways or building of airports or building of mass transit. You know, you notice that the, the highways kind of jig and jog a little bit because residential real estate, is different from agricultural real estate, is different from commercial real estate. The routes of these highways, you know, they're plotted out the best they can. Nobody's aiming them for poor neighborhoods. They're just going where they go. And the thing is, land tends to be in, especially agricultural land, tends to be cheaper than going through million dollar subdivisions. So what happens is these highways get built, but then there's the secondary cause and effect. And that is, Highways are noisy. I know. When I was growing up, I lived in an apartment complex right next to an interstate highway. And I remember when I first moved in there, I couldn't believe how noisy it was. And But you know what? After a while, you got used to it. But it's not just highways. It's railroads, airports, or the approaches, miles-long approaches to airports. What happens is that land next to a, a, a railroad, that land next to the highway, that land next to the airport or on directly under the approaches of the airport since it's noisy that affects the value of the of the land of the home and so if people build houses there 
Or if there were already houses there, well, now there's airplanes flying over the top. Or now there's cars driving by. Well, what happens is people move. It impacts the value of the home and of the land. And so the value goes down because it's right next to an interstate. And so the value goes down. And so you get poor people can move into those houses that they probably couldn't have afforded before. But then you get this argument that we have now where, oh, my, oh you know, oh my gosh, they're building highways through poor neighborhoods. Well, I mean, chances are when they built most of America's highways, those weren't poor neighborhoods. That was just a, that was a cornfield or something. Or it went through an urban area and it was put where they could put it. And then because of the noise or, or what have you, the prices fell of the houses right near there. People who needed lower cost housing could move into those houses. But anyway, I, I wanted to talk about that because there's this this whole new thing of racism in engineering, picking on poor people. But also, too, this whole infrastructure bill, come to find out only 5% is actually for building infrastructure. The rest of it is they're giving it away to their contributors. They're sending a whole bunch to China for who knows what. Most of the things in there, I think it's over half of the stuff that's in there, has absolutely nothing to do with infrastructure. Anyway, we're, it's it's back to business as usual, but this is kind of the way I grew up with these things. You know, you get these big bills passed through, and of course, everybody, all these congressmen, senators, in order to get their vote on the thing, then they need to bring some pork back to their district. And anyway, back to business as usual with the infrastructure bill. There is a great story over Daily Caller by Victor Davis Hanson. Now, I think Victor Davis Hanson, he's a commentator, lives out in California, I think, and he's guest hosted on the Rush Limbaugh show back in the past. I always like him. He's sort of a calm voice of reason, older gentleman, I think. Anyway, he has a column here at Daily Caller called The 10 Radical New Rules That Are Changing America. And I, I wanted to share this with you because I think it's true. And also, this is actually going to set up some of my later topics that we have on the program. Here's a little bit from his story. There are 10 new ideas that are changing America, maybe permanently. Number one, money is a construct. It can be created from thin air. Actual deficits and aggregate national debt no longer matter. And then he goes on to talk about how these annual deficits that used to be run, at least there was this idea of paying it back, but with zero interest rates, You've got this idea in Washington that basically you don't have to do anything with the debt because you're down to zero interest. Who cares, right? Number two, laws are not necessarily binding anymore. Joe Biden took an oath to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, but he has willfully rendered federal immigration laws null and void. Some rioters are prosecuted for violating federal laws and others not so much. Arrests, prosecution, and trials are all fluid. Ideology governs when a law is still considered a law. And that is actually exactly right. And that's a head nod to my column this week at WND.com, which we'll get to during the break. But exactly right. The laws aren't really laws anymore. They're just guidelines. And then our government leaders do whatever they want. Number three, racialism is now acceptable. We are defined first by our ethnicity or our religion and only secondarily, if at all, by an American commonality. The explicit exclusion of whites from college dorms, safe spaces, and federal aid programs is now non-controversial. It is unspoken payback for perceived past sins or a type of good racism. Number four, the immigrant is mostly preferable to the American citizen. The newcomer, unlike the host, is not stained by the sins of America's founding and history most citizens currently must follow quarantine rules and social distancing, stay out of school, and obey the laws. But people coming into the United States 
and they don't have to worry about any of that. In fact, they're catching them and no COVID tests, no nothing, no quarantine. San Diego school teachers actually are volunteering to go and do in-person teaching only if they're illegal immigrants. So anyway, but you see where he's going with that. Number five, most Americans should be treated as we would treat little children. They cannot be asked to provide an ID to vote. Uh, Noble lies by our elites about COVID-19 rules are necessary to protect those Neanderthals from themselves. Number six, hypocrisy is passe. Virtue signaling is alive. Climate change activists, they fly on private jets. Social justice warriors live in gated communities. Multi-billionaire elitists, they pose as victims of sexism, racism, homophobia, etc. The elite need these exemptions to help the helpless, they say. It's what you say to lesser others about how to live, not how you live yourself, that matters. Number seven, ignoring or perpetuating homelessness is preferable to ending it. It's more humane to let thousands of homeless people live, eat, defecate, and use drugs on public streets and sidewalks than it is to come up with affordable housing or mandate hospitalization for the mentally ill. Number eight, McCarthyism is good. Destroying people's lives and careers for incorrect thoughts saves more lives and careers. Cancel culture and the Twitter reign of terror provide a needed deterrence. Number nine, ignorance is preferable to knowledge. Neither statue toppling nor name changing nor the 1619 project require any evidence or historical knowledge. Number 10, and this is this should probably be number one, wokeness is the new religion. It's growing faster and larger than Christianity. Its priesthood outnumbers the clergy and exercises far more power. Silicon Valley is the new Vatican, and Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Twitter, those are the new Gospels. Americans privately fear these rules while publicly appearing to accept them. Anyway, I thought that was pretty great. You can find that over at Daily Caller. That's Victor Davis Hansen. Ten radical new rules that are changing America. Highly recommend. So I'm going to do something weird. I never do any bits on a national review, and I did one last uh, last episode. Well, I've got another one here entitled, Are Illegal Aliens Receiving COVID-19 Relief Checks? Yes. Here's a little bit of that story. During the debate over the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, claimed that, quote, undocumented immigrants do not have social security numbers and they do not qualify for stimulus relief checks, comma, period, end quote. He was wrong on both counts. Millions of illegal immigrants do have social security numbers and they will receive billions of tax dollars and stimulus money. But leave the money aside for now and consider the more basic problem. The U.S. government has chosen to issue social security numbers to millions of people who are illegally in the United States. It's a clear indication that America is simply not serious about enforcing its immigration laws. And uh, so I recommend that. That's uh, over at National Review. I rarely ever, rarely recommend anything, anything at National Reviews. But that's uh, Stephen Camerata, and it's a really good article. I would encourage you to check that out for when you're talking with your fam- friends or family, and they say, "Oh no, uh, illegal! You know, illegal immigrants, undocumented uh, immigrants—they're not receiving thousands and thousands of dollars in government checks." Yes, they are, and as a matter of fact, they're getting a lot of other stuff too. So anyway, go check that out over at National Review. I don't know if you saw this week or not, but uh, G. Gordon Liddy, who was the mastermind of Watergate, he passed away this week. He died at the age of 90. I was a little kid when Watergate happened. I remember coming home from school, like maybe first grade, 
and I would I would grab a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something, and I would sit down in front of our black and white TV, and I would watch cartoons. Well, during the Watergate hearings, there was nothing else on. Watergate hearings were on every single channel, and I didn't really understand you know, what it was. I just knew that, oh, there's some big thing and I can't watch my cartoons. And so I sat there with my PB and J and I watched Watergate hearings as a six-year-old. But anyway, when I look back at G. Gordon Liddy, he was an interesting guy, man. And his radio show, which I'd caught a few times, was actually really good. Great voice, uh, great presentation. But I was reading a write-up on him, a story over at Breitbart. And it's fascinating, some of the things he had to say, both back in the 1970s and up to... Even the current day, when he's talking about uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and some of the things he said, I'm not going to repeat them. It's really kind of shocking. If you go back to Victor Davis Hanson's 10 Radical Rules, the wokeness thing, if you look how far we've fallen down the rabbit hole, that there are things, people like think things or do things or, or say things that are really no big deal. But they get canceled over. They get accused uh, accused of, you know, who even knows what, and they're fired. Or, you know, you contribute money to a political cause, a winning political cause, and then you get fired. Like that guy from, uh, I think it was Google, Google slash Alphabet or whatever, that somebody found out back in 2012, he gave a 1000 bucks to that, one of those California propositions or whatever. It was one that won, and dude was fired from his job. You're not even allowed to think things that somebody could possibly interpret as something that violates the woke religion. And if you look back and you see all this stuff, the the quotes from G. Gordon Liddy, holy crap. I mean, here's a guy who's, they say, well, he's outspoken and controversial, but no, this, this guy's, the idea, it's unthinkable now that somebody ever in America had the freedom to speak freely. It's very interesting to me what we've fallen to because you know what? I have fading memories of being able to speak freely about anything I want. But that's one of the founding principles of our country, and it's it's gone. Anyway, my prayers for the Liddy family and all those close to him who were affected by his passing. He was certainly somebody that made an amazing impact during his life. And I pray for the peace of Jesus for all his family members and friends and everybody affected by this. I'd like to take this opportunity to encourage you to head on over to WND.com and check out my latest article. It's entitled America's Post-Constitutional Era. In it, I talk about the number two thing on Victor Davis Hanson's 10 Radical Rules, which is laws don't mean anything anymore. And I walk you through how everybody from the president of the United States down to some low-level mayor or county commissioner or whoever, school boards, They just decide what parts of the law they want to acknowledge and what parts of the law they want to ignore, what parts of the law they're going to enforce, and what parts of the law they're actually going to openly violate. Anyway, you can check that out over at WND.com. I've got a great comment section going right now, by the way. If you'd like to jump in over there, I would love to have you participate. Anyway, it's WND.com. You can find this really easily. Just go to your favorite search engine and put in my name, Sean Harshey, and WND. And what you'll get, one of the top hits, will be my author page there at WorldNet Daily. Click on that, and my columns are all in chronological order with the latest one on top. Once again, it's entitled America's Post-Constitutional Era, and it's only available at WND.com. I'd also like to take this opportunity to encourage you to head on over to whatfinger.com. 
for your latest update on what's going on in the world. If you've been listening to the program for any length of time, you probably have already gone to whatfinger.com. And if you've gone to whatfinger.com, then that's probably your homepage, or at least it's uh, you've got it bookmarked up on your browser there. So I'm telling you, whatfinger.com, it's the number one alternative news aggregator on the entire internet. And you know what? That's a tough thing to do because there are some good ones out there. But whatfinger.com actually has more content They keep it rolling all the time. It's always fresh. They've got links to memes. They've got links to columnists like myself. They've got links to commentators. They've got links to news stories. And they've got links to mainstream media articles that are of interest to conservatives. I talk about whatfinger.com because I use whatfinger.com. And you should too. It's whatfinger. Like thumbs up, thumbs down. It's actually in their logo. It's whatfinger. Whatfinger.com. So did you know that the Department of Defense has a diversity and inclusion officer? Well, they do. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know any, but I, maybe there's uh, Special Operations Command had one. I don't know if they have another one now, but they lost this guy. But anyway, I, there's this article over at uh, Daily Caller, Defense Department hires diversity and inclusion officer who compared Trump to Hitler. Here's a little bit of that story. The official hired this month to oversee U.S. Special Operations Command's Office of Diversity and Inclusion compared President Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler in a photo posted to Facebook last year. U.S. Special Operations Command, U.S. SOCOM, which directs counterterrorism and unconventional warfare operations for the military, announced Thursday that Richard Torres Estrada took over on March 1st as chief of the Diversity and Inclusion Unit. Anyway, there's uh, some follow-up to this story that I think he's been suspended because he had a bunch of nasty things. Now, the picture that they're talking about that he had retweeted was a picture of President Trump, and he was standing in front of St. John's Church, remember, after the Antifa rioters burned it? And um, anyway, and so and he was holding up a Bible in front of the church. Well, there's a Photoshopped picture in a crowd of Adolf Hitler, and somebody's Photoshopped a Bible into it. And then a lot of leftists were like, oh, look at this. They're both holding up a Bible. They're both clearly Hitler. Well, anyway... I understand that uh, Mr. Torres Estrada has been suspended, maybe pending an investigation or something. But the reason I wanted to talk about this story is not because of this. It's because look how things have changed. Do you remember just a few years ago when Hank Williams Jr., who did the theme song for Monday Night Football, he was in an interview, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was interviewed somewhere on one of the big networks. And it was, I don't know if it was a Sunday show or if it was like 60 Minutes or something, a news magazine show. I can't remember. But he made the comment. He said, yeah, he said that he had seen Barack Obama and he was golfing with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. And he said, I don't know, that seems like Adolf Hitler golfing with, uh, you know, somebody. I can't remember who he said. But anyway, the outpouring of rage from the left was, and in fact, I think the interviewer said, Hang on, let's back up a second. Did you just compare the president of the United States of America to the most hated man in world history? And he said, well, he goes, you know, I'm just saying that they're two, they're two completely opposite people, and I don't really understand. I, I don't see how they're golfing together, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was something along those lines. Well, if you remember, he was immediately fired by the network as the theme song guy for Monday Night Football. I think he lost jobs over that. He was canceled. Can you believe this? How dare anyone ever compare the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, to Adolf Hitler? 
this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Well, it's it's funny because now, I mean, how often did you hear people making uh, Donald Trump and Hitler comparisons? And everybody cheered. They thought it was great, including, I mean, this guy. Not only can this government official tweet all this kind of hate, but he end, ends up getting promoted in, in the government over it. I mean, so forget Monday Night Football or, you know, private parties. But this is this is where we've fallen in just a few short years. So I've got a segment here about the Second Amendment with a, uh, several stories. Uh, first, there's this thing that the the left likes to do. They speak in very general terms, and they don't really define what they're talking about. But I've, I've got an article here from uh, PJ Media entitled, Woke Democrat, a Former Soldier, Tweets Attack on the Second Amendment. This is a guy named uh, Representative Jason Crow. I'm not sure where he represents. But anyway, he, he says, I grew up a hunter and served as an army ranger. I didn't take my deer hunting rifle to Afghanistan, nor did I take my assault rifle deer hunting. Don't be fooled by the gun lobby. The type of gun matters. Weapons of war have no place in our communities. Okay, so what I'm kind of focusing on here is the whole thing on weapons of war. This is one of those things like everybody should, you know, the rich or corporations or whatever, should pay their fair share, or uh, that's white supremacist. This is one of those things that, they can forever move the goalposts and it means anything they want it to mean at any time. So weapons of war, you know, what the hell does that even mean? I mean, I I just wanted to read his tweet and say, Hey, you know, this is kind of what they do. Here's an example of this guy, you know, working up an emotional thing that he's doing and then kind of basing it on this spongy thing that he can change at any given moment. Sticking with second amendment stuff here. I've got a, uh, an article from over at NOQ report entitled Antifa Thugs in Washington Vandalizing Vehicles with American Flags on Them. So there's basically, it's a lot of Andy Ninjo tweets, and it's it's kind of referring to that. And so there's a lot of videos, several short videos that you can look at. But the long and short of this is you have these uh, Antifa rioters, and they were damaging vehicles that had any kind of patriotic thing on it. I presume if you had a Trump sticker, it was definite. But they're ramming pieces of wood like through the windshields. They're throwing paint on stuff. Well, there's this guy, and they attack, and he's got an American flag on his uh, on his truck or on the side of his truck. And this actually happened in Oregon. And so Antifa came out, and they were attacking people who were driving by in front of the Oregon State Capitol. Uh, in one video, they smash out a truck's driver window, and then they ran a large uh, piece of wood of some sort through the windshield. Uh, they're attacking drivers. They're kicking cars. You can watch all the videos. But anyway, uh, this man, after he's his, they're they're attacking his vehicle, and he gets out of his vehicle, and they attack him and pepper spray him. Well, he's got a handgun, and to my knowledge, he has a it's lawfully owned. But here's a man that has been attacked. He didn't start the attack. And he's defending himself and whoever else is in his vehicle. And guess who gets arrested? The man who is attacked and maced while he's driving down the street. Nobody's doing anything to the protesters. And finally, on our Second Amendment stuff, I've got a article here from Trending Politics. Biden pressing Supreme Court to allow police to barge into people's homes and take their guns. Here's a little bit of that story. The Biden administration reportedly put pressure on the Supreme Court to allow for warrantless confiscations of guns as the court heard arguments in the Coniglia versus Strom case. So this is up before the Supreme Court right now, actually. In the case, Edward Coniglia allegedly got into an argument with his wife, Kim, back in 2015 
and the police took his firearms. And I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of summarize this for you. I'll let you go over and check out the story if you want to, or you can look up the Coniglia versus Strom case uh, somewhere else. But basically what happens, he and his wife got into an argument. The police come and they say, hey, you know, we, we think you need some help. You're acting a little erratic. And so why don't you go and you know, voluntarily go to the hospital and get yourself checked out. Just make sure everything's okay. You're, you seem to be under a lot of stress. And the guy said, well, I don't want to do that, you know, and I'm concerned that you're going to use this as some red flag thing. You're going to try and take my firearms. And the police said, no, we're not going to do that. So the police promised him that they would not seize his guns while he left. So the so the man left and he voluntarily went to get a psychological checkout or whatever, get a consult, make sure everything was okay. Well, what they did while he was gone then, they went to his wife, Kim, and said, hey, yeah, uh, Edward said that it's okay if we grab his guns. He volunteered to go get checked out, and he volunteered that uh, we could we could take his guns too. And she's like, oh, okay. And so she walks him back in the house, and they had a couple of handguns, I think, and she gives them to the police, and the police take them, even though he went over and he got checked out and the docs are like, yeah, you're fine. You got some stress, you know, try to maybe lower your stress levels and you'll be fine. He was immediately uh, discharged from, from his, his appointment. It, the police kept his firearms. They didn't return him until he filed a civil rights lawsuit against him. So anyway, the government has characterized that as a form of community caretaking. But you know what? Can you imagine if we said, you know what? I think, I mean, stick any other constitutional right in there. And and say you know what, it's my I'm it's community caretaking. I think the media is a bunch of liars, and so I'm going to ban newspapers and radios, or I'm going to let the government confiscate television stations in the community and only put on you know what I say can go on as you know some government official. Well, that's a First Amendment right is freedom of the press or freedom of speech. Or you say you know what, I'm going to shut down churches just as a community caretaking thing. I'm going to shut shut down synagogues or mosques or whatever. It's that's okay. I know there's a constitutional right for people to worship, people to attend church, but I'm going to I'm going to shut these things down because I think there's something bad there. And so for community caretaking purposes, I'm going to go ahead and do whatever I want. That's that's kind of where we're at with the second amendment, but for some reason the left doesn't really go along with any of that. So you know, there's a tragic situation there in uh, Washington DC where these two teenage girls, they went, there's an Uber Eats driver who's driving around. I don't know if he's, you know, looking to deliver some, some tacos or something, but anyway, an Uber Eats driver, he ends up being carjacked by these two teenage girls. And so when they went to carjack him, they used a taser on him. And so the car goes out of control and there's a car crash and the, the gentleman is killed. They murdered a man in a carjacking. And actually the video is heartbreaking because the man comes out of the car and one of the carjackers is, is kind of ranting. And then she goes back to the car and they walk right past their victim's body and they dig around in the car looking for their cell phone and then leave. And so this is, this is the kind of thing that you're dealing with. I mean, this is, these are people who are completely, they have no soul. It seems like Anyway, they've been arrested. They're charged with murder. The mayor of Washington, D.C. instead blames the Uber Eats driver. Actually, this is in a now def, uh, now deleted tweet. Auto theft is a crime of opportunity. Follow these steps to reduce the risk of your vehicle becoming a target. Remember the motto, protect your auto. So she deletes it. What she's saying is, you know what? If you hadn't been in that neighborhood, then you wouldn't have got carjacked and murdered. 
you don't want to be carjacked and murdered. You shouldn't be driving around in the neighborhood. That's the mayor of Washington, D.C. Apply that to any crime you want to apply it to. Kind of going back to the Victor Davis Hanson bit where everything seems to be stood on its head. I have this article from over at Gateway Pundit. Leftists side with criminals who took correctional officer hostage and mob harasses a female uh, jail employee leaving after work. I don't know if you saw this news item, but in the Oklahoma County Jail, I guess it was, a bunch of inmates on this floor with a bunch of inmates who are difficult to handle. I don't know how there was a cell phone in there, but... Uh, The inmates rioted and they took this corrections officer hostage and they beat him up pretty good. And they got and they started live streaming on Facebook their hostage scene and all that. Anyway, at least one hostage taker was killed. And I think the corrections officer is okay. Uh, At least he was in a hospital. But anyway, the situation is the left uniformly came out supporting the inmates in taking hostages inside a jail. So this is really where we've fallen to. I now have a couple of stories about censorship. I'm going to stick with Gateway Pundit for a moment. I've got an article entitled Top Deep State Propagandist Behind Russia Hoax. Now pushing for new rules to rid the internet of opposing voices. Here's a little bit of that article. Anne Applebaum and Peter Pomeranstev published a piece at The Atlantic this week arguing that opposing voices must be stamped out in society and on the internet. Applebaum argues an internet that promotes democratic values instead of destroying them, that makes conversation better instead of worse, lies within our grasp. She thinks that the uh, tech giants need to do more silencing of leftist opponents, and she thinks that people should have nowhere to go. You should There should be one opinion, and that is the Democrats' opinion, and anything other than that must be stomped out in America. And on a related note, I've got an article over at newsthud.com It's entitled, Delusional AP Bosses Forced Journos to Abandon the Word Crisis Because Biden and Psaki Don't Like It. Here's just a little bit of that. Senator Ted Cruz said, Having been at the border today, I can tell anyone denying that there is a crisis is delusional. Cruz was reacting to the revelation that the Associated Press won't let their reporters and contributors say the word crisis regarding the border. Literally, the only reason is because Jen Psaki, that's the um, that's that spokesperson for the White House, and Joe Biden don't like the word crisis. The administration said they will not call it a crisis. They refuse to budge. So the Associated Press is just rolling over and complying. Anyway, this is, uh, can you imagine anything like this during the Trump administration or even during the Bush administration? Can you imagine them saying, hey, look, we don't like that word. And we don't want you using that word to describe it. That makes us look bad. And the media going, okay, well, it's what we got now. This is why everybody hates the media. So I got this story from over at Breitbart. Media ask uh, Joe Biden for the first sweet he plans to eat after Lent. And this actually kind of cracked me up because it reminds me of a story from back during uh, 2015 or 2016. It was during the uh, 2016 presidential campaign cycle. And just like Joe Biden, only not nearly as bad. Do you remember that Hillary Clinton went into hiding? I mean, she was she wouldn't do press conferences. She would come out and remember they had she had staffers all around her and they had a moving rope line where they would just like tie a rope around their waist and there would be a bunch of them. And she would walk in the middle of that rope line and it would they would kind of push and shove and jostle 
media back away from her so that nobody could get close to her and put a microphone in her face or nobody could really hear what she was saying to anybody or she could they couldn't really practically ask her questions or anything. They did everything they could to keep her away from the media, to keep the media away from her. And Joe Biden took it to the next level when nobody even saw the dude for like, you know days on end. And he was just doing his entire campaign by proxy. But anyway, at one point, if I remember right, it had been nine months since Hillary had spoken to the media and she finally gave an interview and it was softball worshiping, adoring questions. Everybody love you. We love you, Hillary. And anyway, one of their question was, Mrs. Clinton, what is your favorite ice cream? And meanwhile, they're beating Donald Trump and Ted Cruz and the Republican candidates. They're beating them senseless. Well, not Jeb Bush because they wanted him to win. But anyway, they were just beating these guys up and talking about how they're horrible human beings and blah, blah, blah. And they're giving news. They're giving interviews all the time with Hillary. It was, what's your favorite ice cream? She hadn't talked to the media in nine months. Anyway, here's a little bit of this story from Breitbart. A reporter questioned Joe Biden about what he gave up for Lent as he returned to Washington, D.C. on Sunday evening. Question, Mr. President, what have you given up for Lent? The president, I gave up all sweets for Lent. You have no idea how hard it is for me. Question, what's the first sweet you're looking forward to having when it's over? The president, ice cream. Okay, so that is hard-hitting reporting. Also, don't use the word crisis. I've got some articles here about what is uh, kind of, again, going back to Victor Davis Hanson, this idea that, you know, racism or racialism is kind of fungible and calling people names is is not a big deal as long as it's these politically correct names. So anyway, I've got these three articles that I thought were kind of funny. The first one is from uh, Summit News. It's under the uh, subhead Clown World. The article is entitled NBC Scanning 17,000 Hours of WWE Content, which that's the World Wrestling Entertainment. So it's basically like used to be called WWF. So that's like Hulk Hogan and all those guys. 17,000 hours of WWE content to look for racist material. And here's just a little bit of that story. NBC Universal has revealed that it is scanning 17,000 hours of past WWE content to weed out racist material in order to avoid it appearing on the network's new Peacock streaming service. Peacock recently won the rights to stream WWE's gargantuan back catalog, which means censors have a monumental task on their hands to find any, quote, offensive content. How funny is that? Now I'm going to head back over to my home station, WND.com, where I do my national column every week. I've got an article entitled, Now Sheet Music is Considered a Slap at Students of Color. Here's a little bit of that story. It's the latest battle in woke politics. Faculty of University of Oxford's Department of Music are seeking to remove sheet music from the curriculum because of its complicity in white supremacy. Professors are fretting that the classical music notation has not shaken off its connection to its colonial past, according to Fox News, and it's a slap in the face to students of color. The Telegraph in the United Kingdom reported that in the wake of international Black Lives Matter demonstrations, faculty members at Oxford want to address the white hegemony in music courses and enhance the diversity of the undergraduate curriculum. Now, apparently they already teach hip-hop, and jazz, and, you know, who knows what all else. But the Telegraph said that the professors are, they're biting their nails, and they're upset, and they're fretting, because music students at Oxford are learning too much about Mozart, and Beethoven, and white European music, 
from what they call the slave period. So their plans include rethinking the study of musical notation because it's a colonial representational system. In other words, sheet music. Reading music is racist and a representative of slave and colonial past, and so it needs to be changed. All right, so sheet music is racist. Uh, apparently, the WWE might be racist, so they're looking through all those old things. Did you know Band-Aids are racist? It's, well, I mean, somebody thinks it is. Here's this woman, and she looks exactly like you think she would look. This is a public school teacher, I think. Anyway, she is a high school teacher, 10th grade teacher, and she ran to TikTok to make this complaint. White privilege. She's holding up band-aids. Whose flesh tone is this? I have brown band-aids in my classroom. I had to special order them. They're twice as much as these, and they're hard to find, and they're frequently out of stock. But when I hand a brown child a white Band-Aid, I am literally adding insult to injury. And I refuse to do that in my classroom. Okay, so the funny thing about this is this woman with crazy eyes and wild eyebrows and the trouble glasses and all that, she is as pasty white as you could possibly be. And she's holding up these uh, kind of, they're Band-Aid color. They're, you know what color Band-Aids are. They're, they're tan. And she and she's holding them up, and she goes, "What color are these? They're white. They're they're not white." And the funny thing is, compared to her like printer paper white skin, it looks like it looks pretty dark, you know, to me in this uh, video. But you can uh, check it out if you if you follow Ian Miles Chong on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter anymore, but if you follow him, he's got that over there. Or you can go over to IndependentSentinel.com. The name of the story that has the video with the link that I just played is Crazy-Eyed Woke Teacher Finds Out Band-Aids Are Racist. Anyway, this is why I didn't send my kids to public schools. And finally this week, I've got a story here that's kind of sad. This is from Todd Starnes over at toddstarns.com. Eagle Scouts Memorial called a wretched unconstitutional dumpster fire because it includes the name of Christ. Um, so I'll just summarize the article for you here. It says that Michael Carlson, he's a 16-year-old from Monument, Colorado. And so, you know, when people achieve Eagle Scout status, uh, they have to do like a capstone project or something like that. And it, they, that is something that they take typically a, a long period of time. And it's usually something for the community or, or what have you. Well, what Michael did was he came up with, uh, he spent two years raising private donations for a memorial to honor America's military veterans. Now, Michael's dad is actually a Vietnam War veteran, and his uh, grandfather is a World War II veteran. The memorial was, it was erected on private property using private funds in a monument cemetery. But there's this guy named uh, Mikey Weinstein, and he's got this, uh, this bit that he does where he goes around and he is constantly suing the military, or he's, he's always like, he sends nasty letters that he's going to sue uh, or or that you know he's somehow going to litigate or whatever he's going to make life bad for military commanders all over the place because he doesn't like something that they do or say or something that their soldiers or their sailors or marines did or said whatever and it, this is kind of a thing he does he's got something called the uh, military religious freedom foundation anyway they're really triggered by Jesus and what sets him off is the uh, inscription on this monument to American soldiers. So it's got things like uh, the combat boots with a rifle standing upright with a, a combat helmet hanging. It's called a battlefield cross. Anyway, he, there's this uh, inscription on his monument. 
Only two defining voices have ever offered to die for you, Jesus Christ and the American soldier. One died for your soul, the other died for your freedom. We honor those who made freedom a reality. This Weinstein character, he said that the memorial is a blatant violation of the U.S. Constitution and demanded it be removed. He wrote a letter to the town's mayor and says, The obviously and incontrovertibly sectarian Christian proselytizing message is quite unconstitutional and illegal. And then he had an interview with something called the Friendly Atheist, and he called the Teenage Boys Memorial, quote, a wretched, unconstitutional dumpster fire. So anyway, more power to uh, Michael Carlson in Monument, Colorado, and I hope that the mayor or whoever in Monument, Colorado, tells this guy to go shove it. Well, that's it for episode 90 of the Harsh Reality Podcast. I really appreciate your making the Harsh Reality Podcast a part of your weekly routine. I'd like to encourage you again to go over and check out my latest national column over at WND.com entitled America's Post-Constitutional Era. You can find that by going to your favorite search engine and putting in my name, Sean Harshey, and WND. And what you'll get is my author page with the latest national column right on top. I would encourage you to go there. Please jump in and uh, join the comment section. If you'd like to drop me a note, you can do it easy enough. You can go over to seanharshey.com and the Contact Us tab, and that'll send me a, an email. Or you can also email me from WND by just clicking on the my name, which is right next to my picture there. That's a hyperlink, and that'll take you over to a short bio about me and also a button where you can email the author, and that will WND will send me your message. So I appreciate your taking the opportunity to stick with me this week. I hope you enjoyed the format of the program. I hope you enjoyed kind of the rapid fire thing I'm trying to do. I hope you have a great weekend and a great week. I'm Sean Harshi, and this is The Harsh Reality.